is the pastor's heart and Dominic Steele. Thanks for your company. What is the future for the Church of England and the Anglican Communion? My guest is Dr. Peter Jensen. The Church of England official media release says the Church of England's General Synod has welcomed proposals which would enable same-sex couples to come to church after a civil marriage or civil partnership to give thanks, dedicate their relationship to God and receive God's blessing. The House of Bishops took the proposal to bless same-sex marriages in church to the General Synod last week. It was an initiative led by the Bishop of London, the Bishop of York and the Archbishop of Canterbury. And yet, what do the words of the Synod Resolution actually mean. Dr. Peter Jensen is the former General Secretary of the GAFCON movement and the former Archbishop of Sydney, and he has given years and years and years to preserving biblical faithfulness within the Anglican denomination worldwide. Dr. Jensen, thanks for joining us. Um, I want to come to your pastor's heart on this, but first of all, we're scratching our heads on what's actually happened. (laughs) Well, we are a bit, Dominic. Um, a couple of theologians in uh, England who I greatly respect have said, whoa, uh, please remember, if you look at the actual wording of um, the uh, motion that was passed in general, said, and the amendment was made mm-hmm. to it, with the amendment said, you, whatever you do, you've got to stick to the doctrine of the Church of England. Uh, they're saying, look, it's not as bad as it looks. In fact, in, in a sense, it's been a victory. However, I have to say, I think the horse has bolted. Mm. I think, uh, well, the the <laughs> announcement by the Church of England itself for a start mm. and the things that they quote from the Archbishop of York and the Bishop of London and so forth, uh, people, and then not only my two friends who I've heard, but as I listen to the tremendous number of uh, uh, people in England who are speaking online and then... Um, And then as we hear the responses around the world, I think this has been and is the decisive moment. Mm -hmm. People are talking about crossing of a Rubicon. I think so. So where does it leave us? Well, it depends who the us is, of course. Um, Let me say, when I first read the bishops, what the bishops were proposing, I surprised myself by becoming somewhat emotional about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is your pastor's heart, isn't it? Well, yeah. it is. Um, I think it may be my generation, but we have a respect for England and the English mm. and a respect for the Church of England, which is pretty profound, mm. and uh, a respect for the office of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, and... Suddenly, I was aware that Mother had done something which I thought, or was proposing to do something, which I thought was just plain wrong and unhelpful, very unhelpful. Now, that's that was my instantaneous feeling, and it was a feeling. It was, mm. oh, um, but that's nothing compared to what I am hearing and seeing around the world and in England itself. Mm. People are in shock. People are in deep grief, and uh, uh, it, it has had consequences far, far more wide, perhaps, than those who brought this uh, could have imagined. Mm. I mean, I'm just thinking of the same-sex attracted, faithful, celibate believer who is 
choosing to make sacrificial decisions to follow Jesus Christ against the against the um, well the flood of information in the society. And, Dominic, they yeah. were the first people that came to my mind, um, and not only in a sense, not only them, but all Christian people who are not married. Uh, they may have been widowed. They may never have had the opportunity to be married. I have a number of friends mm. uh, uh, who have not had that opportunity to be married, and all their lives they have lived chastely. Mm. They have not thought that sex outside marriage was possible for Christians. And it's, in a, it's, it's as though these people, and the ones you mentioned in particular, of course, are now being told, oh, by the way, that was wrong. Mm. Um, uh, you, can, you can do these things after all. And it's just, <laughs> it's mind-numbing mm. that people who have been deeply Christian and have sacrificed a great deal for the Lord Jesus and will be blessed for it, of course, but should be treated in such a way. Mm. It makes me a bit cross, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, angry on their behalf. Well, that was another way of saying it, yeah. yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm angered by it. Mm. I'm reading Friends in the UK um, and one English minister who, who has written of just going to church on Sunday last week and a profound sense of unease and yes. grief and yes. uh, he says he's not really a kind of a feelings person. No. He's, a, no. he's a doctrine Bible guy, but he just felt gutted in church yes. on Sunday. And hence my own surprise at my own feelings so far away and so forth and so on. But yes, and there's a, a further reason for that, I think. Uh, as you know, in this part of the world, we don't necessarily take bishops too seriously, mm -hmm. but actually we do. Mm. And the bishops uh, here, but the, the Episcopal office is an office of leadership. It's immensely important in a world which is so secular and so antagonistic to the Christian faith that our leadership stand firm. And so as I'm listening to people in England reacting to this, like your friend, um, they are saying, well, up till now we've been able to say, well, this is the official teaching of our church. And uh, whether you like it or not, that's who we are. Now it appears that uh, people are saying, well, it can be the official teaching of your vicar, but then the next parish someone may teach something different and so the clergy at the parish level are now exposed to people saying, well, why don't you believe that? Uh, and a sense of... One of the things that has come out, of course, is the way in which this, in a sense, I, I, I'm going to use a strong word, but it, it betrays the communion, much more than similar things that happened in the United States. Mm. I mean, this is the church from which so many of us received the gospel. Um, so there's, there's a sense of betrayal in the worldwide communion and of pain and of possible bad consequences, which the Archbishop of Canterbury himself mentioned mm. in the debate. But people in England are saying, yes, we, well, we're not going to be murdered or something. But 
it exposes us to the anger and the contempt of people around us in a new way. Mm. Um, over the last few days, I mean, I've just had a new assistant minister join me in this church, and um, uh, he's being ordained this Saturday. Yes. And I was reading with him the ordination promises that he will make as a deacon yes. um, as part of encouraging him towards this moment. Indeed. And the promise that he will make includes, I'll drive out error that can't be proved by the scriptures. Yes, and yes. how much more serious the promise to do that that the bishop makes. And yet Oh, we... well. Remember the coronation vow of the, our late lamented queen and the, and, the, and the Bible being placed into her hand as the greatest book in the world. Mm. Or remember this, it's very interesting. When, um, when I used to have part of uh, consecrating new bishops, mm -hmm. uh, in some of the dioceses I went into, they were handed a, um, a cope and, a, and a, a cross and a ring and all sorts of things as well as a Bible. But when I looked at the prayer book, the original prayer book, the only thing that a new bishop is given is the Bible. Mm -hmm. There's Bible alone, in other words. And what people are doing is that they are taking... This was very evident, apparently, in the debate. I, I didn't watch the debate, but people are saying it was evident that the arguments, particularly in favour of this new development, are very experiential mm. um, rather than biblical. Mm. Now, of course, people will say, oh, no, they're biblical. We've read the Bible and so forth and so on. But I think that's hard to no, argue. I, I watched a fair bit of the debate, and there was a marked difference in the, uh, in the tone between yeah. in, in the for and against speeches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with the best will in the world. And so <laughs> the Episcopal consecration, as originally envisaged in the Book of Common Prayer, is that you are given the Bible. And, and so, this is where you get your teaching from. If you, you, You've got to ask yourself, am I really being true to the scriptures to which I have committed myself? And if not, why not? Um, it's hard because the culture around us is telling us it's wrong, that the Bible is wrong. But we need, we need our bishop friends to stand up and to say we will keep to the teaching of the scripture and if you like, and I'm not unhappy about this, as traditionally understood, because tradition is a way of bringing in the reading of Scripture from 2,000 years. And the way in which the Scripture has been read in 2,000 years on this subject has been all one way. Hmm. You have to be very, very uh, sure that you can overrule 2,000 years of reading uh, to bring in a new, a new idea. It's possible because it is the Bible, not tradition, but tradition is still pretty significant. When I was a young man, I remember going to a Christian conference and uh, a line that was preached from the front that has stayed with me for 30 years was, I'm playing to an audience of one. I'm yeah. to play to an audience of one. Yeah. Um, I'm to not listen to the society. I'm to ask, what would my heavenly father think? Um, and, and so one has hoped that one's leaders in the faith would give you the clear example of playing to an audience of one, and we've not seen that from the English bishops. Well, that is 
what it looks like. Mm. It looks like that to the outside world. Um, and if the English bishops are going to win back that respect, shall we say, they're going to have to come out and be very clear about what's going on. Mm. And so far, I think it's highly unlikely. We are not, well, we're not getting that message from many. Some, yes, but not from many. And we would say, brothers and sisters in England, we need it. Um, and if you doubt that, just look at the responses from um, Uganda, from Nigeria, Rwanda, from here in Australia. Uh, look at the responses that you are receiving from all around the world and ask, am I being sufficiently clear and strong about biblical truth? It doesn't look like it. Mm. Now, the Archbishop of Canterbury headed to Ghana immediately yes, after did, the... Yes, um, yes. Poor man. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's extraordinary. He's been to, he's been to uh, South Sudan recently yeah. as well, and then General Synod, and then Ghana. Yeah. Oh, it's a, but, um, it's a big ask. It was really a... Well, I thought a breathtaking speech from him in uh, in Ghana. I just couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. Now, where can people find it, uh, well, Dominic? Well, I watched it on YouTube. And right. What I we'll, we'll link we'll link to it on the show notes. It's the Anglican Consultative Council, Council. ACC. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you can get this on YouTube. I yeah, haven't seen yeah. it. And we will link to it in the show notes of this program. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's always good to watch the thing itself, isn't it? Yeah. Not just to take what some people say about it. But what interested me, however, was we were talking about the Anglican Communion and the nature of the Anglican Communion and the role of the Archbishop of Canterbury in the Anglican Communion. This is more significant, mm. I think, and requires careful reading. Uh, I've read it once, and therefore I need to read it again. But what he seems to be saying is something I would agree with, that the Anglican Communion is... is uh, is a fellowship based on the gospel, uh, a fellowship uh, arising from a certain history, a fellowship of people who love and respect each other, but that it's not a legal fellowship in the sense of a constitution with a whole set of rules and this is how it's got to be done. It's not that sort of fellowship. And I think he is saying that, I think he is saying that this being the case, uh, that whereas we have thought of the Archbishop of Canterbury as being a unifying person, a unifying office in this communion, uh, it may well be that the time has come for us not to think of the Archbishop of Canterbury in such a light, but rather to structure ourselves differently. Now, I think that's what I heard him saying. Uh, Which the news person would say is jumping before he's pushed. Well, the news people have said that. Yeah. I don't know what the Archbishop was thinking, uh, so I can only say what he said. Uh, however, what he has said is pretty astonishing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't do justice. It doesn't do justice, Dominic, to the place that England has. I'm sorry, I know I'm <laughs> meant to be dismissive of the English as an Australian, but we, that's, we do this because we, uh, we people in my generation, 
I mean, my father, who never went there until late in life, called Austin, called England home for heaven's mm. sake. He mm. was Church of England, thank you very mm. much. There's a sense of the Church of England being actually unique in the Anglican Communion. I, I, you can't get around that. And yet it does feel like if we're going to have some consistency, somehow we're going to need to be um, in, what's the term, uh, impaired fellowship Well, with the, with the Church of England. Do, 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 do people realise that? They seem to be willing to give... When I say they, the, the, the leadership in England seems to be willing to give up that fellowship for the sake of what needs they think needs to happen in England, which half the people in England don't think needs to happen, if I can put mm-hmm. it like that. Well, that was a vote of the clergy and the lay. It was very long. Well, yeah. indeed. Um, <laughs> that brings me to GAFCON. I don't know if it brings you to GAFCON, but it brings me to sure. GAFCON and the uh, meeting in Kigali that's oh. going to occur in the next couple of weeks, uh, in mid-April. Uh, GAFCON was set up, uh, GAFCON <laughs> arose after 10 years of negotiations and, and meetings and so forth because the American church decided to put aside a uh, resolution of Lambeth Conference, which was passed overwhelmingly in the Lambeth mm. Conference, to do with uh, sexual ethics. And they decided to set it aside and to do their own thing, as they were entitled to do in the sense that the Anglican Communion is not a legal structure. It's it's not that sort of structure. It is a structure of fellowship. Um, It's a communion in that sense. They're entitled to do it. But, of course, as you know, over 100,000 of their members then left their church and it shocked and dismayed most of the rest of the Anglican Mm. Communion. And so what GAFCON did was to meet in 2008 to recognise those who have left because, after all, are they still Anglicans? Yes. They haven't changed their teaching. They are sticking to the to the uh, to the Anglican tradition. It's not they who have changed; it is the rest who have changed. And so, what Gafcon did, what Gafcon hoped the Ang- the Archbishop of Canterbury would do, was to, but he wouldn't. And so, we had to do it in order to maintain these faithful Anglicans. We had to say, "We recognise you." But we didn't just stop there. We said something else. We said to the, re- to the rest of the Episcopal Church, and we beg of you to repent. Mm. For this is not a legal matter. It's not even a moral matter. It's a spiritual matter. And we beg you. We're not saying we can force you to. We're not saying we can hit you over the head or something like that. But we are saying, look, we beg you to repent. And in order to send that message to you, we are going to step back from you. We are not going to walk with you. We are going to step back from you out of love for you Mm. and ask you, please reconsider what's happened and rejoin our communion so that we can recognize you again. You know, (laughs) people say that GAFCON is divisive. And that's a way of dismissing GAFCON. That's rubbish. GAFCON is not divisive. 
Gafcon arises because of division created in the first place by the people in America, North America, Canada as well. And it was not divisive. It was intended to hold the fragments of the communion together. And it was acting as it did out of the spiritual 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 need for people to repent and to return to the teaching of the Lord and it acted as it did because and I'm sorry to say this because I, I because of the failure of the Archbishop of Canterbury mm. to who I respected this was the previous Archbishop I always respect the Archbishop of Canterbury of course but a failure of the Archbishop of Canterbury to summon the American church to repentance. I think had he done so, we might have had a different communion. Mm. But it wasn't done. And so the Gafcon provinces had to do it. And that is what is now happening. Because if the Church of England goes down this route, the spiritual thing to do would be to say, we can't have fellowship with you, not because we hate you or don't love you, it's because we love you and we're summoning you to repent, to turn back to the Lord. I'm sorry, this sounds like a sermon. It's gone on and on. I do beg your pardon. No, no, it was a good I'm one. I'm sorry. Well, you <laughs> asked me what the pastor's it, heart. It, yeah. This is my heart. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'm stupid. People can tell me I'm stupid. Maybe I am. But that's what my heart is saying. Yeah. For the young man who is thinking of pastoral ministry in the UK for the, um, for the current incumbent of a evangelical church in the UK, a word? Well, I've been listening to people in that situation as I've been observing what's going on, and there is a great deal of uncertainty and grief. <laughs> this is disastrous. What word do I have? Well, uh, it has always seemed to me that there have been two options, and I'm, it's not up to it's not up to me to tell the English what to do uh, in such a situation. But Gafcon has provided two options at least. One is that we set up in 2013 what we called an Anglican mission in England. It was a missionary organisation because we want the gospel to be first. And uh, as time has gone on, that missionary organisation has uh, brought in a number of people and a number of congregations uh, who have felt that they cannot stay in the Church of England any longer uh, and and are moved by the prospect of evangelism and church planting. And so uh, two proto-dioceses have been set up and uh, the work has gone to Europe as well and to Scotland, to Wales and so forth. It's not large, but uh, it's important. And that has always been a place to which people can go. Uh, People are saying we can't go there because there's no jobs there for us. Well, no, if you're going to join a missionary organization, you have to be a missionary. Hmm. And uh, you have to be able to bring your congregation with you, or at least some of it. You have to recognize that uh, it is better if congregations pay for the pastor, not the central organization. That's a new thought. And uh, you will have to... um, or you will have to do church planting and come with a, come with a church. Mm. It's a big ask. 
Gafcon has never said that that has got to be the thing. No. It is a way in which some people may be able to respond. Others will choose differently. Others will stay in the Church of England and engage in the political fight that needs to be fought there. If they do, let me say that you're not dealing with a political fight that will go on for 10 years. This is a 100-year fight. Mm. You've got to recognise that. This is, if you're going to go the route of the synod and all that sort of thing, remember that you're not just doing it for the next two years. Mm. No. Um, progress has been made there, and I congratulate those who have made it, but I recognise that it's a long-term business. Mm -hmm. And there will be others, friends of mine, who stay in the Church of England, who will set up signs that they are not under the authority of their bishop and things like that, and people will come to different ways. People have been talking about setting up a third province and so forth. These are decisions that the English people themselves will have to make, but they ought to know that they have the support of GAFCON. Mm. That we don't, we don't exist to tell them what to do. We exist to help them in the doing of it. Mm. And we exist, it's a spiritual movement. It's a movement of love. Love for those who need our help and love for those who have taken another course and whom we summon from our understanding of the Bible to repentance. Thanks for coming in. My guest on The Pastor's Heart, Dr. Peter Jensen, the former General Secretary of GAFCON and former Archbishop of Sydney. And uh, you have been with us on The Pastor's Heart. My name's Dominic Steele, and I'll look forward to your company next Tuesday afternoon. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.